You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. G'day, Louis here, pastor at City on a Hill Surf Coast. Thanks so much for tuning into this video, a recap of a Bible talk from our recent Sunday gathering together. We understand that at the moment things are tough and uncertain with COVID-19, so we hope that this serves you well in feeling like you can still participate in the life of the church. I want to encourage you, though, to not let this be the only way that you participate in the life of the church, that during this time, although maybe you can't be there on a Sunday, look for ways to be able to be together in other ways. Uh, be creative, send a text, make a phone call, be with your gospel community, uh, catch up for coffee, go for a walk, do something where you can still be a part of our journey with Jesus so you can be encouraged and also so that you can encourage someone else. So I hope that this content today is helpful, that it encourages you and builds you up in knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And we look forward to seeing you again soon on Sundays and throughout the week. Thanks, Church. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good.
Hello everybody, my name is Joe Ash. It's great to be with you here today. Uh, I'm one of the volunteer pastors here at City on a Hill Surf Coast and I'm excited to be talking to you in the second week of our One Peter series. Hopefully I can look at my notes too in this wind. Throughout the series of One Peter, we're trying something new uh, in that we're going to have a question and answer time at the end of every sermon. Uh, that's not something that we've done before. We've done it a couple of times just in 1 Peter. Louis did it once, uh, twice. Have we done it twice now? I think we've done it twice. So just giving you guys warning uh, that that's coming. Uh, I'll try and speak for less time than perhaps we normally would. Uh, and I'll probably touch on a few things that more could be said uh, about. But uh, there's an opportunity for you if, you if one of those things piques your interest, it's something that you would like to talk about and discuss more. Um, there's a spot for you to ask questions at the end. So have your thinking caps on. Uh, I'll also ask Louis to come up just in case your questions are too difficult for me. <laughs> and if they're also too difficult for, Ker for Louis, we may have to rope in Kirby as well to help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I didn't give you a warning about that. Sorry, Kirby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... As we come to 1 Peter, our first sermon was last week, and it's important, I think, that we touch on what we talked about last week. As the passage today that Tim read for us, thank you, Tim, it's so encouraging to hear more of your story, and it's so great to have been a part of your story for the last two years. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the first 13 verses of 1 Peter, and then we'll get into today's passage. And last week was our kids' service. You'll notice there is not many kids here today. They are, they are inside in our City Kids program. Um, just to call out to those guys, those guys do a mountain of work to look after our kids. Uh, they, you, you get to see some of that work if you were here last week for the intergenerational service. Um, they're doing the same amount of work, we just don't get to see it this week because they're, they're in there. Um, they're always looking for more volunteers as well, so if that's something that you think that you could help with, um, Please speak to myself or Louis or someone that you've seen when you've dropped your kids off in there and they'd love, they'd love your help um, to, to help run that program. But something that we did last week uh, is there was a memory verse. It was to the tune of Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bob Marley, which was stuck in my head quite a lot. I think, Lupko, was it stuck in, stuck in your head as well? I think the, the whole goal was to get it stuck in Lupko's head. But there were two key, key words in that memory verse which are elect exiles. The letter is written, the letter of 1 Peter is written to elect exiles. Matt, who brought the sermon, had a helpful refrain. He talked about how, uh, how we are and in our identity, we are elected, that is we're chosen by God. We're rejected. The world, we're rejected by this world uh, because of that. This world is not our home and this world is a difficult place for us to live as exiles, but we're protected. We have a loving God um, who shields us and looks after us and he knows what's best for us. Um, and even though things may be difficult and hard, um, he is protecting us. Matt's uh, demonstration of that meant I got to shoot my son with a Nerf gun in the middle of a sermon last week, which was pretty cool. Uh, so if you missed that, uh, there's a podcast and a video that you can see how Matt did that. So the passage really building on that is that, and in 1 Peter, we see how we have a new identity in Jesus. We're born again to a living hope in Jesus. 
We have an internal, eternal inheritance because of the work that Jesus has done. It doesn't perish, it doesn't go off, it doesn't fade. What we work for here on earth, it'll come and go, but the inheritance that we have in Christ lasts forever. And because of that, we can rejoice. Even though things are difficult and things are hard in this life, we can rejoice because of who Jesus is and what he's, what he's done. And so today's passage, as we come to today's passage, I want to explore more on what our identity is and who we are through what God has done, and that is his family. The passage that we looked at last week, it talks about Jesus, who he is, and how we've been saved. And this passage that Tim read for us just now, it talks about how we're to live because of that, because of our new identity in Christ. Um, this passage talks about how we're to live. You'll notice that the first word in verse 13 is therefore. A good question to ask when there's a therefore. Does anyone know what it is? What's it there for? <laughs> and it's because the reason that this therefore is here, which gets very practical and articulates how to live, it's because of the work that Jesus has done that's articulated so beautifully in the first 13 verses of 1 Peter. So today I want to explore this passage, this really practical passage, through the lens of family. So in looking at family, first I want to look at how we're part of God's family and what it means to be part of God's family. That's the first point. How are we part of God's family? How do we see that in this passage? And what does that mean? And secondly, I then, then want to explore how we're to live because we're part of God's family. So first up, Let's look at how we're a part of God's family and what that means. So in this passage, there's three references that Peter uses to family language. In verse 14, Peter says, As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Children. Children is a key word there. In verse 17, Peter says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially, we have a father. We're children and we have a father. Most children have a father, obviously. <laughs> but there's two key references to our identity as family here. And in verse 22, Peter says, having purified yourselves, your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. We have brothers. We have sisters. Peter uses this, this family language to talk about how we're to live. It's in the context of a family that we have this instruction. And family may bring some different feelings for us. Some families are great. Some are really positive and they're great places to grow up. Some are really not so great. But I think all of them are complicated, in my experience anyway. <laughs> But God's family, the family that we're talking about here, with him as our dad, talk, we're talking about what family is supposed to be like. If you dream of what you would like your family to be, even if you had a great family, how could it be better? Whatever the best picture of family you can think of, this is better. <laughs> We've got the perfect father who loved us to the point of, of becoming a human and dying for us. He's our dad in this family. So when we talk about family, we're talking about it in that context. 
And so how do we get into this family? The first point here of how we get into this family is that he's done the work to bring us into his family. We see through this first chapter of 1 Peter that he has caused us to be born again. It's by God's power that we're guarded in verse 5. When we're born again, there's not much that we do to be born again. Someone else does the work. And so if God has done the work to bring us into his family, what then has he done? And in verses 18 to 21, in chapter 1, this beautiful passage that describes the work that God has done. So from verse 18, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, we were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious, precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And it's through him that you are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. It's with the precious blood of Christ that we've been brought into God's family. God did the work. We're elect. He chose us and it cost him. It's a significant thing that God has done. Think about all the silver and gold. It's not with silver and gold or anything perhaps that we treasure. It's with the lifeblood of his son that we've been brought into God's family. There's a passage in Galatians 4. Sorry, this is going to be, I've got eight pages. Was that my second page, Dad? Galatians 4 uh, says the same thing. It's a similar concept. It's Paul wrote Galatians. And I think it's helpful to add this to our thinking as well. And it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Church, this changes our worldview. This tips out the whole way that we think of ourselves, the whole way that we relate to others. This tips all of that on its head. Being in God's family changes everything. And so let's dig a little bit deeper into what it means to be part of God's family. If we think about family and what it means to be in a family, I've got four or five things that I'll just touch on quickly here. In a family, we get a last name. We get a heritage. A last name can mean a lot. My last name is Belusov. Um, and I've actually talked a little bit about, in, at other times, my family heritage and history. My family comes from the border of Russia and Mongolia. They came out as part of uh, World War II. My pop had a very hard life. He was conscripted into the Chinese um, army and fought into the Chinese, in the Chinese Civil War. He was a hard-working, hard man. He became a Christian. He got shot in the leg in the Chinese Civil War, and someone there told him about Jesus. And that changed his whole life. Everything that he lived for changed at that point. There were refugees in Australia. They had 11 kids. 
they got given a bush block out the back of nowhere at the, and they worked on the Snowy Hydro scheme. But all of those things, where the Belusoft name comes from, those 11 kids, all are strong Christian families uh, all throughout uh, Victoria primarily. But that history, that influences who I am and how I live. And in Christ, in God's family, our history and our heritage is so much richer than that. For, the, for thousands of years, the saints that have gone before us, Jesus, our older brother who has gone before us, that's who we are. That's, we, we can build on and we have that as part of our identity. It's part of family. We get a home. We get a safe place to be. In a family, there's a loving environment where we can learn, grow and flourish. And I love how Tim touched on that, that part of the hope that came in times of trouble is because of the people that were in God's family for him. Part of being in a family, you get a dad. And here we have a dad that guides us and protects us. He shields us. He guards us. If you think about the dad as the protector, the one who wants no harm to come to his kids, in this family, we get the best one imaginable. And we get a dad that we can talk to. He hears us. He's a loving dad. I know that some families are not great. A lot of them are not great because of this. So many people, sons in particular, have issues with their dad. All of us as dads have a very difficult job to do as human dads. But in God's family, we have the perfect father. We get an inheritance. Some of us are lucky enough to get a physical inheritance. Most of us, for most of us, probably that's not too significant. But here we get an eternal inheritance. We get an inheritance that uh, Donald Trump's family's inheritance, I don't even want that anymore because of how good this inheritance, this eternal inheritance that we get in Christ is. We get brothers and sisters in a family. We get a community and meaningful connection to others. We get to learn through significant relationships. We get to love. We get to forgive. We get to laugh and we get to cry with each other with God as our dad and Jesus our, as, an, as an example. And it's not because of how good we are that we get invited into this family. The good news is that even while we were still sinners, even while we hated our dad even, he died for us to give us an opportunity to live in his family. I hope, church, that that sounds like a good place to be. For me, uh, putting that together, I was like, that's awesome. I want to be in that family. And how good is it that, that we get to be in God's family like that? We'll start to then look at how God, how we live as a result of being in that family. There's a key word in a couple of these family uh, references. The word's if. And so in chapter 1, verse 17... It says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, conduct yourself with fear. And in chapter 2, verse 3, I'll read it the other way around. But if you've tasted the Lord is good, long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. God's saying that if you are in the family, there's a way that we live in the family. I think perhaps here it's helpful to consider a biological family and what this means. 
If I think about my family, most of you probably know my three little kids. Noah is the oldest, uh, and so he is probably easiest to talk about because he has more character traits and expresses more than the others. Well, he has words to express it. Emily, who's two, she expresses lots of things, but in quite a frustrating way uh, for most of us to try and interpret and deal with. But I think when I think about what it means to be a Belusov, if I think about all of the 11 families that I referenced before, and I think about Noah and how we live, I think if, to, if you're a Belusov, it means that you leave nothing on the table. When you work, when Belusovs work, they work hard. When we play, we play hard. We don't sit around and do not much. We're not good at sitting still. Three days holiday in Fiji on an island with no one around you and nothing to do, that's a disaster for a Belusov. <laughs> we, we are not interested in that. We, we are always up and about and going and doing. That's not good or bad. That's just what it is. <laughs> And so what does it, perhaps what does it mean to be in your family? Perhaps your family, uh, perhaps your family loves the beach and your, be your family, if you're in your family, you are a surfer or you're a beach addict. There's a couple of families here like that. Perhaps your family hates the beach and sand is a disaster and you never want that in your car and that influences your family. We had a holiday recently, or not too recently, with another family and, and that kind of... Uh, you know, work hard, play hard theme with our family. It became quite obvious when we woke up on Saturday morning. In Saturday mornings in our family, it would be unusual if, if we're not out the door, at the beach, at the oval, doing something by 8.30. This family, their Saturday mornings, they sleep in, have brunch, get out of their pyjamas at 11 o'clock. Their, their, their Saturdays are very different than ours. It was a big contrast in having a holiday with this family. And it was interesting to talk about how our family rhythms were so different. But so now I want to talk about what, what is it that it means? How do we live when we're in God's family? I've used a, some perhaps trite examples here, but here we transition to God talking about what, what does it mean? How do we live when we're in God's family? And just to be clear, the things that we're going to talk about here, they're not the things that save us. If we express these things, that doesn't mean that we are saved and we get a spot in the family. We've already talked about how God does the work to bring us into his family. If Noah sleeps in till 10 o'clock one day, he's still a Belusov. But I'll give him a little kick and say, come on, mate, that's not what we do. <laughs> and so here, what does it look like when we're part of God's family? In the passage that we read, I think there's 13 things that it talks about that we, for how to live. And so I'm just going to spend 10 minutes on each of those 13 things. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. In your gospel community, perhaps you can see if you can find all 13 things that I found. You, we may have an argument about some, how some of them are grouped or not. Uh, a gospel community, we're trying to replicate a little bit of that by having some question and answer time here. But for those of you who haven't been here before, our gospel communities are where we meet midweek. And instead of one person, me in this case, talking for a long time, it's where we meet in smaller groups, five or 10 or perhaps 15. Um, and we can all have a conversation about uh, what the Bible means and how we apply it to our lives. So it, 
perhaps in your gospel community, see if you can find and talk about these 13 things. But I'm going I'm to pick three, and I'm going to talk about these three so that we're not here for 130 minutes. The first verse, verse 13 that we looked at, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first thing there, therefore preparing your minds for action. In the original language, when it's translated a bit more perhaps wooden and in a way that would be confusing for us today, it means gird up your loins, which is, it might as well probably be written in Greek if for me to say gird up your loins. But what, the, what that means is back in the, in the day when this was written, the men wore, they didn't wear shorts like I'm wearing today. They had sort of tunics, more like a dress kind of thing. And when they were going to do work, they, they had to kind of hitch it up and hold it. It's a bit, perhaps today's equivalent is roll up your sleeves. It's like we're going to do some work. Um, take your cufflinks off, roll up your sleeves. We're getting down to business. Being in God's family is not passive. It's not something that we enter into and then... We uh, do nothing. Prepare your minds for action. Roll up your sleeves. Get ready to participate in community. Get ready to lean in and learn more about Jesus and let that change you on an ongoing basis. That's the first thing. The second thing that I want to pick up on is in verse 15, it says, be holy. And so what does it mean to be holy? means to be set apart. The, the word really means set apart or different. We're part of a different family here. We're part of a family that's not of this time or place. We're exiles here on this earth. But we're part of a spiritual family, of God's family. And that family is different than the families that we see when we look around. Peter says that we've been bought with a price. Don't look back and live in what you've been bought from. You've been brought from something, something changes, and now you live in a different family. John Piper talks a lot about holiness. For the, John Piper is um, someone who's been very in influential in my reading and understanding of who Jesus is and what that means. And when he talks about I know that's true for some of you here. And if John Piper is new to you, I, I would encourage you. He's got a website called Desiring God, which is a great resource to look, look into. He says this about holiness, which I think is helpful. He says, Holiness is the newness of the human heart that can no longer find sin and self more desirable than God and goodness. So put another way, to become holy is to find our happiness and our joy in God. To be holy is to be God-focused. It's to look at what he wants and, and to set aside other things, to let that be, to let what, what God wants, to find our joy in him and let that trump what perhaps we think we would want. And I'll come back to that concept in a little bit. And the third and the last thing that I want to touch on, on what, what, how Peter calls us to live as God's family, is to love one another. In verse 22, Peter says, love one another with a brotherly love. And Peter, he plays a trump card here. 
calling us to love each other with a brotherly love. It encapsulates so much behavior. You may be familiar in Matthew when someone asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love one another, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And everything else hangs off that. And so church, when I think about what all of this looks like for today, this letter was written 2,000 years ago, but it's amazingly relevant for us today. When I think about kind of bundling all of this up and what it means today, there's many things that could be said. But holiness, being different and loving each other. The thing that comes to mind when I think about how to apply this, it's how we're unified around the main thing. It's how like, we as a family are unified around Jesus and his love for us. We have the biggest thing that we could possibly have in common, our understanding of Jesus and what he's done. And if I was to sum up the world in the last couple of years, if I had one word to sum up the world, I, think I would use the word division. Division has marked and it continues to mark society. I'm sure that it's happened before the last two years, but I've really noticed it in the last two years, perhaps two and a little bit years. It seems like if we disagree, someone disagrees with someone else, we can, those, those two people cannot get on. It, the world is so divided around a whole range of topics. I'll list some of these things that I think the world is divided on, and I'm sure that you can think of many others. The first one that comes to mind is probably the same one that comes to mind for you, is vaccine or no vaccine. Building on that, the government's response to COVID, is it appropriate or is it not appropriate? What's the role of the church in these government policy settings that many have argued and thought about in the last little while? Should we be active or should we be passive? Donald Trump, is he a hero or is he a villain? Recently, there's been a lot of uh, writing in the paper, not in the paper, it shows how old I am, doesn't it? Don't I talking about the paper? Joe Rogan is a podcaster who's been in strife recently around free speech, what should be said and what shouldn't be said. Is he a hero or is he a villain? Our response to gender neutrality. Controversial. Do we generally adhere to progressive or conservative social policy settings? Do we generally adhere to progressive or conservative economic policy? Democrat or Republican in America is a very big deal. Oh, if, I, if, I'm a, if I vote for the Democrats, I probably won't have Republican voting people at my dinner party. And I never thought that was a thing in Australia, but I feel like it is becoming more of a thing, what we think about, you know, who we vote for and why. Society breaks into pretty clear groups around these and many other topics. The world preaches tolerance and acceptance. But on both sides, really, it only toler tolerates and accepts a pretty narrow band of views. Council culture is very real. The world, while it says it's accepting and we want to accept and include everybody, it does not include 
everybody. You have to think a very specific set of things to be accepted by whichever side that you want to be on. The world is positioned very poorly to deal with these fundamental, fundamentally different ways of looking at the world. At the start of chapter two, we see that we're called to not use malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander with each other. But I think we see lots of that when the world tries to relate to each other on these issues. And as Christians, I think this, this, this passage is telling us to respond differently. As family, we all look similar in some way. But all of us are very different too. I'm sure that list of controversial things that I read out, if I asked people to kind of split into what they thought, we would have different opinions on a number of those things. And that's okay. That's good. If God can be gracious to us, and if he can ransom us, if he can demonstrate his self-sacrificial love for us, that even while we hated him, while we'd done nothing to deserve it, if he came down and lived and died for us, how much more are we to be gracious to those around us that hold different opinions around these types of things to us? What we think of Jesus and what that means for us, it should be shaping all of us. That should be the main thing. But there's significant room for different opinions on a broad range of things, some of them listed. There's many more that perhaps come to mind for you inside the frame of being Christian brothers and sisters. There's actually probably more in common with our Christian brothers and sisters than our biological brothers and sisters because of the truth that unites us. And so does this commonality, does it mean that we have to think that others are right or others are wrong? Does it mean that we shouldn't have an opinion or we should keep our opinion to ourselves? No, it doesn't mean those things. Families are diverse. I know that you know, a a number of you know my brothers and sisters. Someone actually came for a year um, and then they found out that Christiane was my sister. It's like, you guys are nothing alike. And it's true. We're not very similar to each other. Families are diverse, but we can love, we can be family, and we can have significant and real community because of this. Because of the work that Jesus has done, because we're family, we're in a position where we can celebrate and lean in and love each other through diversity. The world that drives past here, it should look in and look in at all of us and goes, how on earth does that work? You guys should not be mates. (laughs) I know what you think about X, Y, and Z, and I know what you think. And so how can you be sitting together and enjoying community together? And it's true, we probably should be. (laughs) But we're united by something and someone not of this world. And that changes everything. In closing, I'll just talk about a guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you may be familiar with him. If you're not, he was a pastor of a Lutheran church in the time of Nazi Germany. He was anti-Nazi from when the party was established and he was very vocal and outspoken against the government. He died in a concentration camp in Germany for his involvement in an assassination attempt on Hitler. He's got a book He wrote a few things, but the most well-known writing of his is called The Cost of Discipleship, and it's really worth reading. But he has a quote, which I think is relevant to this discussion, or I will quote him. 
And it say, he says, when God has mercy on us, when God revealed Jesus Christ to us as our brother, when God won our hearts by God's own love, our instruction in Christian love began at the same time. When God was merciful to us, we learned to be merciful to one another. When we received forgiveness instead of judgment, we too were made ready to forgive each other. What God did to us, we then owed others. The more we received, the more we are able to give. The more meagre our love for one another, the less we are living by God's mercy and love. Thus God taught us to encounter one another as God has encountered us in Christ. Us loving and accepting each other because God accepts and loves us through Jesus, warts and all. It means the lives that we get to live in community with each other are richer because of it. But as we'll see next week when Louis comes to us, it's also a very powerful witness to those of us that are driving past and to those of us who are around us. Church, this isn't necessarily an easy thing to do. And I think chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 articulate this in some way. Don't respond like the world does with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Instead, long for spiritual milk and grow up into your salvation. Growing up isn't a once-off thing. It's an ongoing thing. If we've tasted that God is good, let's keep growing. Let's keep tasting. Let's keep leaning in. Keep growing in our faith and becoming more like our Father and our brother in God and Jesus. The last two or three weeks, there's been some really practical ways that we can do that that have been discussed. Sundays, gospel communities, prayer nights, Bible reading, discipleship groups. Individually, this will continue to transform us. But, but collectively, doing that together, it's a, it creates a community that's so much richer and that really can transform the world. Let's not worry about the world yet. Let's worry about Surf Coast. Um, I think living in that way is a, an amazing witness to the Surf Coast and those around us. And, and it can be a key part in really bringing revival here on the Surf Coast. I'll pray and then we'll open up to questions. I uh, thank you, God, for the time that we get to spend together. Uh, thanks for this book of 1 Peter. Um, thanks that though it was written so long ago, uh, it is so relevant to our lives here and now on the surf coast. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what it means, how significant Jesus' sacrifice was for us, what it means for you to have brought us into your family. And God, I pray that that would transform the way that we live, the way that, it, that we relate to each other, the way that we can accept differences in each other because of the unity that we have in you and who you are and what you've done for us. I pray you'd uh, bless us as we go from here and, uh, and please help us to have significant and meaningful discussion um, through this series of One Peter. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.